Heterodorks! Heterodorks! Well, hello, turfs and trannies. You are listening to Heterodorks Podcast. I am your co-host, Corinna Cohn. And I am your other co-host, Nina Paley. And I am extremely pleased to introduce our guest this week, an old friend and colleague of mine, Les Unite of the Voluntary Human Extinction Movement. Uh-oh. Are we going to commit suicide during the course of this podcast? <laughs> totally. It's it's We say voluntary human extinction movement, but everybody just filters that out, and all they hear is extinction movement. So yeah. you can just imagine mass killings. That's... Well, this is creating a lot of conflict for me already, because I don't know whether I should use pills like a woman or use a gun like a man. <laughs> neither. Neither. This is a cause to live for, not to die for. You'll be dead soon enough. Don't rush things. <laughs> Welcome to Heterodorks. Thank you. So tell us a little bit about what the Voluntary Human Extinction Project is. Movement. Movement. Well, it's pretty much what it says. It's a voluntary movement, and we are promoting the extinction of humans, homo sapiens. A long time ago, I realized that the very best thing for Earth's biosphere would be if we weren't on it. So then you have to go, okay, what are we going to do about that? Well, the most humane way would be to just simply phase us out. We can clean up our messes as we go. Uh, and, uh, you know, everybody will be better off if there are fewer of us each day instead of, as it is now, a couple of hundred thousand more of us each day. And that is what I wanted to talk about because Corinna and I had a conversation about a month ago where Corinna was asserting that outcomes, there are better outcomes with population growth than with population decline. And Corinna's background is in economics. And uh, I wanted to really discuss really what I want to, what I want to resolve is which is worse. And I have quotes around worse, which is worse, population increase or population decrease, human population increase or decrease. Maybe Corinna could make arguments first. You sort of set it up, Nina. So I'm I'm curious what Les is. I, I'm sure you've heard all of these arguments before. So maybe you can talk about the, the pros and cons of population uh, decrease. Oh, sure. Yes. Uh, economics is an artificial construct. And it really shouldn't be uh, the basis of uh, how we live our lives. What is not a, an artificial construct is the biosphere that we all depend on. And our economic growth is, to a large extent, and our population growth, it, to a large extent, is destroying that biosphere. We can live without money, but we can't live without the biosphere. So uh, we, we can't grow on forever. I think that on a finite planet, I think that's pretty much established, just common sense. So at what point do we stop? I see no value at all in increasing the number of us uh, economically, sociologically, ecologically, and certainly not for the new people who uh, don't exist yet. They're blissfully unaware of what could await them if a couple of people get busy and uh, there they are. One of the things that I like to do with my evenings less is kick back on my couch, which some somebody else made, I just bought, and turn on my television and 
get my internet going and tune into a little bit of streaming video and enjoy the creative works that teams of other people have developed uh, to tell stories and develop narratives and basically keep me entertained. I know that when I'm thinking about that, that requires a ton of energy. That's probably coal or natural gas that's burning. And the development of the glass on the screen took a lot of energy and all of the creative and technological marvels that went into building an OLED screen. Um, There's no way that any primitive society would be able to come up with that. It took took generations and generations. But I, I get a lot of pleasure out of that. But we wouldn't be able to sustain anything like that for very long if we started having a sizable population decrease, right? Well, I think we could continue to have everything we have today, just maintain it. Uh, We are um, in danger of losing it all if we uh, continue as we are. So the best way to hang on to all of our uh, wonderful gadgets and such is to stop increasing the population beyond uh, overshoot. We went into overshoot in 1970 and uh, have been drawing down uh, the natural capital of the planet since then. And uh, and of course, a lot of that is, as you say, the screens and all of our devices are pretty heavy on the extractive industries, but we don't have to continue if we have enough. Uh, the, the reason we have to uh, continue seeking energy and uh, all the resources that go into it is because of increased demand. There are more of us all the time. And economic justice really demands that half the population increase their consumption. There are a couple billion of us are uh, experiencing food insecurity. And, um, you know, if they reduce their consumption, they'll die. And, uh, you know, so um, there's a, a big divide right now. People are saying it's not population, it's consumption. Well, without people, there won't be consumption. I mean, it's what we do. We have to. And agriculture accounts for a third of the um, greenhouse gases. We all have to eat. So to say that, I'm, I'm, I mean, rich people do cause more emissions. It's true. But uh, that's not the only thing in the world that is uh, harming the biosphere. I think I, I lost track of <laughs> what your question was. Oh, oh yeah, uh, maintaining all of this stuff. There may be a point at which, uh, you know, we got down far enough. We couldn't maintain everything. But we've got time to, you know, decommission the um, nuclear power plants and so on. Uh, and so we'd finally get down to, you know, some old codgers in the garden reminiscing and, you know, eating from the garden and then dying. Who, who's going to bury whom first? I think it would be just fine. We'll, we can still have everything. More likely, if we stop increasing, that we will have everything we have today. So Corinna was making arguments that this was, again, our conversation a month ago that uh, if population declined, we would have social instability that would wreak havoc. Oh, we couldn't have that. <laughs> like we'd have wars and, and there oh, would no, be... not that. There would be uh, environmental damage caused by the oh. wars that would be 
caused by population decline. I, I would rather Corinna were making these right. arguments because well, I'm just re, <laughs> reheating Corinna's sorry, arguments. I don't mean to laugh at it, but that's exactly what we have because of population increase. Well, I, I was saying, I think uh, more urgently, Nina, is that we would have infrastructure collapse. That's right. Infrastructure collapse. So in order to maintain our current technology level, it requires a diverse set of professional skills. You mentioned nuclear power. That's not something that a high school student is able to go into a, a plant to maintain. No, no, Russian army could do it, but not just some high school student. So. But as, as we uh, phase them out, the workers will pass on, uh, retire, and they won't be necessary anymore. So uh, that's the beauty of uh, degrowth uh, is that uh, these things can be set aside without uh, detrimental effects. To decommission a power plant, for example, that's something that would be necessary to have a, a peaceful transition to a, a negative population growth model. Yes. We would have to get beyond a voluntary movement at that point, because that that degree of central planning where the decision makers, the the the, the policymakers would have to set a target of zero or negative population growth and would have to have some, even if, even if there are people who were not agreed to the human extinction movement, there would need to be a government or multiple governments that were agreed that that was the objective in, in order to have a peaceful, as you're saying, a, a peaceful a disassembly of the current technology infrastructure. Yes, and it can all still be voluntary. Several countries have voluntarily reduced their uh, birth rate. No country has voluntarily reduced their consumption rate. So this is why the uh, argument that we should just uh, work on consumption, uh, yeah, we should, maybe so, yeah, of course, we do consume too much, but we won't get very far with that. Isn't it the case, though, that the countries that have had a voluntary decrease in the population growth rate even when they approach replacement or negative rate, that those are the most industrialized and technologically advanced countries that have achieved that status. Yes, that's right. And it doesn't have to be that way, but that's the way it is. The um, countries uh, that have uh, voluntarily reduced their birth rates have actually uh, received economic benefits through the, uh, called the economic de- uh, Demographic dividend. Uh, Vietnam is a good example of that. Uh, they their overshoot day. Every country has an overshoot day. The, the day they uh, are um, using more resources than their country can provide. And they used to be almost December thirty first. Now they're clear up into September because they've done so well by reducing their uh, birth rate. So it there's a trade off there as uh, as nations become. Fewer, as, as there are fewer of them, usually the, uh, the uh, capitalists depend on more and more people. Uh, capitalism will, is what will really falter uh, due to uh, a smaller population, which, good riddance. I mean, we, when we can get a steady state uh, economic system, it will be so much better for, uh, for everyone. And it will be difficult to bring that about until there are fewer of us each day. Can you define what you mean by capitalism? 
Yes, it's especially where private ownership of um, the means of production and uh, as the way neoliberal capitalism is going, it would like to be uh, private ownership of everything. But it is where if you got money, you make money. And if you don't have money, you don't make money. Uh, the people who have become fabulously wealthy in the last decade started out with quite a bit of capital. And so when you have the capital to, to buy things you need, like politicians and, and so on, you, you can uh, make a lot more. And capitalism is great until you have everybody else's money. So when you say capitalism, this isn't just a matter of you have something and I want to buy it from you at, at a macro scale. Sure. Free, free enterprise. Yeah. Right. There, we could always have that even under a, a socialized um, system of economics. What you're talking about is capture of government by the people that who have the greatest levels of capital. That, that's a large part of it. Yes. Uh, it, it's uh, kleptocracy, um, oligarchies, uh, call it anything you want, but uh, there are alternatives to that, but capitalism is thriving due to our uh, population increase, as, as I mentioned, but it doesn't have to be that way. Now, why does capitalism require continual growth? It's a pyramid scheme, and when it's not growing, it's shrinking, and everything is set up, it has evolved to be this way, is set up to ever grow. Economic growth is promoted by both left and right, pretty much every, even greens, all of economic growth is going to be the solution to all of our problems. And really that's where all of our problems are coming from. Not just more and more of us, but more economic growth as well. And, you know, we don't want to get poor, so the only way to have less economic growth and still have everybody uh, at least have a reasonable standard of living is to have fewer of us. Now, I'm not an expert in uh, economics. I don't really care for the subject that much. And so uh, my explanations of uh, capitalism, especially neo-liberal neo, uh, capitalism, are definitely limited. Corinna is <laughs> economically oriented and speaks from that. Yes, that, that, that's, my, that's my orientation is... Exactly. I'm, I'm an econophile. Exactly. And, and an autobibliophile. Yes, that's a, different, that's a different story. So these are all kinds of perversions, really. Um, I'm like an open book. <laughs> so you probably know about the donut economics that has been developed in the uh, Netherlands. No, what's that? Uh, where, well, um, they use a donut just because it's nice to visualize it. And in the center of the donut is where everybody is uh, not doing very well. Outside of the donut is uh, people are also not doing very well because of um, exploitation. And in the donut, the good part where we eat, that's what we need to aim for with the economic system. I see. So, so this is like uh, the Goldilocks. At, at, yes, the Goldilocks zone, aspirational. Wait a minute. So the middle, wait, the people who are outside of the donut are exploited. People who are in the hole of the donut, what's going on with them? They're too rich or something? They're, they're even more exploited. I guess the people outside it are the ones who are doing more of the, uh, the 
uh, exploitation. People outside of the donut are, I don't understand this at all, actually. <laughs> well, you, you know, I, I, I just was reading it the other day, and I'm, I'm starting to slip away on the memory of what, what it is. But you want the donut. That's where you eat. And you eat well. <laughs> so then so growth is an incentive, right? The idea is that nobody would invest in anything if there, if there wasn't a promise of increase and that we rely on. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah. It's a, it's a system of investment. It's like a, a network, a way that people network together and, and move money between each other. Uh, growth has to, has to, there has to be a promise of increase or else that movement would stop. Yes. And then you, you may have to uh, have a, a Bolivian coup for the lithium, but these <laughs> things, you know, coup who we want to coup. But, uh, anyway, yeah, he'll probably get a big bite of that uh, donut. So I think that economics being an artificial uh, system can be changed and dealt with. But what I would like to shift the conversation to is uh, why people are so reluctant to talk about population increase and uh, natalism. I think uh, natalism is the uh, the oldest ideology. And I used to call it pronatalism, but uh, two decades ago, Nina said, just natalism. What, what's with pronatalism? Oh, yeah, okay, you're right. So ever since then, I've been calling it just natalism, uh, even though pronatalism is still very much in the vernacular, and, and we'll probably be there a while because it, it explains it better. The director of um, Population Balance teaches a... a graduate course in pro-natalism. We got to talk about it for a while. But out of natalism, uh, originally, the more people that are born in a tribe or group of any kind, the better. They die, they need more. And it, it uh, kept being that way. Uh, as we evolved in societies, those who weren't natalists would be overtaken by those who were. And then when we got the city-states, it really took off. And that's where the patriarchy was born, I think, because that's when women's procreative uh, choices were began to be uh, controlled more. The um, breastfeeding was shortened in order to have more soldiers to defend and attack. And uh, it's, it's just continued on today. The American Taliban is just going at it like crazy, uh, trying to prevent not only uh, the right to abortion care, but also contraception to prevent uh, unwanted conceptions. So um, that's what I think we really need to, to deal with. There is an illogical... I, I just want to respond to some of that. So I just want to mention that when you said breastfeeding being shortened, that that's important because uh, women's fertility is less while, while they are breastfeeding. So if you shorten breastfeeding, then that means that uh, a woman can be fertile sooner after giving birth and so she can have more births. But it's it's interesting what you're talking about because um, the there's a radical feminist analysis that talks about women being uh yeah being reproductive resources and uh you know in a in a rigid patriarchy in in a male supremacist system 
women's reproductive resources need to be controlled by men. So women need to be controlled by men. And I suppose this is the men want to control them because they are highly motivated by increase. Although I think they're, they're motivated by individual increase, maybe, maybe group increase also. I don't know. It's like uh, the, it's hard for me to get in the mindset that I keep hearing about where people want more and more children because I've never wanted even one child. But I suppose that, yeah, for individual men, your economic power increases if you have more children in some societies. And I guess a tribe's strength increases if they have more members and uh, the way you get that is, yeah, is to use women to yeah. generate more of these. But it's it's a it's a conflict. It's it's a powder keg in radical feminism because there are there's a very natalist branch of radical feminism, and so uh, we we all we natalists and anti natalists feminists sort of get along because we sort of need to and most of us don't start fights over that but we could yes <laughs> i i think you're right about the uh um the right to to procreate is uh well established and uh the right to not procreate is is what's uh under attack the most but natalism isn't just from the patriarchy the patriarch is the main main enforcer of it right now, but uh, natalism is just really culturally conditioned throughout all cultures right now. Uh, they, they, it is just something that goes without saying, and anybody who goes against it uh, receives the wrath of the, I guess they're social justice advocates. If you say that there are too many of us, then you must be uh, racist. There's a jump there, just all of a sudden. You know, you're, you're a neo-fascist. Uh, no, uh, eco-fascist. The right. jump is understandable, though, because if you're using the United States as a context and you look at the population growth rates by race, there's a, there's a statistically significant difference that's right. Mormons, Mormons have a whole lot of kids. So no, it Mormons is racist. Not a race. Mormons, well, yeah, but they, they tend to be white. They, they do, but they're a, such a small portion of the, not of at the, the white rate, demographic. Not at the rate they're increasing. Well, I know they're trying to do a lot of work, but, but the, no, there, there really is a, a Also, Orthodox, Orthodox Jews. I mean, the highest birth rate. I was shocked when I studied this. This was a couple, I mean, this was like a decade or two ago. But I was like, well, who who has the highest birth rates? And it's like, oh, Mormons and Orthodox Jews. Oh. Because <laughs> I had heard these arguments and I was like, yeah, that sounds like it could be racist or it could be positive to be racist. But then I was like, oh, no, the actual highest birth rates are white people. It seems like most groups, regardless of how they're defined racially, ethnically, or religiously, or they all, almost all of them say, you know, what we really need in this world is a few more people like us. They're all uh, in favor of that. And uh, Corinna, you were talking about uh, the racial 
Uh, if, if someone does take a racial approach, then yeah, that's racism. But there is no need for that in uh, overpopulation analysis. Some people might mm -hmm. do it that way and say, well, let's see, where's the growth the worst? It's over there, so let's take care of that. But uh, the more nuanced uh, discussion is the wealthier we are, the more uh, impact we have. And so we should be taking care of our own, uh, we being the wealthy people, taking care of our own birth rates. But also the main thing is universal, voluntary, reproductive health services need to be universal so that anybody, anywhere, who doesn't want to procreate has the ability to. There are hundreds of millions of couples who don't want to have more than they have. They're having a hard time taking care of what they have, or they don't aren't interested in the first place, and they're really denied the the wherewithal uh, and the freedom. This is just a serious violation of basic uh, human rights, and yet due to natalism, you don't get much. Uh, you don't hear much talk about. The, the lack of reproductive freedom in that regard. There is, you bring it up, there, there will be a lot of talk about uh, preventing people from procreating when they want to. But that's, you know, if you put it on the scales, it, it's really small by comparison. Nina will vouch for this, but it's been a constant habit of mine to put everything into a, a United States context. But what you just said doesn't sound true about the United States. Anybody can go down to the drugstore and buy condoms. And it's really pretty straightforward for women to get onto birth control in the United States for the most part. So when you're saying that couples don't really have the access to the resources that they need to avoid conception or bringing more people into the world, is there a portion of the world or, or a, an area that you're talking about where people don't have that access? Because am I right? The United States is pretty okay in that regard. No, it seems like it, but we're about 40% of our uh, conceptions are unintended. And so there's something wrong with the delivery of these uh, available contraceptions. It, it, could, it does seem like, okay, anybody could get it, but there are uh, obstacles to that. A lot of people don't have uh, health insurance, uh, even on Medicaid. Their employer doesn't want to supply uh, contraception because they don't want to pay for somebody else's birth or, or somebody else's uh, sex. You know, they can barely afford to pay for their own sex. So it, it really should be much uh, more, much easier to get. In Colorado, just one example, they had a program uh, to help with uh, teen pregnancies and they gave free long lasting uh, contraception to, to everybody who wanted every woman. And this, this, sorry, it was only women. They, there is not a way to, um, yet there will be, uh, to, um, temporarily, uh, render men sterile. I mean, there, there, there are people have developed these, but men don't tolerate side effects and women have no choice. So the, the, effects that women endure from these birth control methods, these hormonal birth control methods are pretty horrific. I've endured some of that myself and it was horrible. Yes. Uh, and yes. women just suck it up because they'd rather do that mm -hmm. than get pregnant. Um, and men won't tolerate it because they don't have pregnancy. They don't have the risk of pregnancy immediately there. It's 
you know, it's big difference between uh, enduring pregnancy yourself versus knocking up somebody else and having them endure it. Oh, no doubt. That's why there are serial impregnators. But, um, and right now, uh, vasectomy is the, the best, but it should be considered permanent when people do it. There were other side effects besides just uh, unpleasantness with the male uh, contraceptives so far. They really haven't come up with a good one, or at least they haven't been able to get it yeah. approved. There is one that's just an injection into each vas, can be re re easily reversed. But uh, if that happens, it would really cut down on the amount of uh, income pharmaceutical companies uh, make off of women's women's based um, contraception. So yeah, it's really we, we really need to do something about this because, uh, like you say, so many of them of the uh, women based. Uh, contraceptions have side effects. All of them, pretty much. Some people tolerate them better than others, but the tubal ligation or salpingectomy, uh, a lot of women are, are opting for that. And then there are no side effects from that because you're sterile. Yep. <laughs> Les, can I ask you about ideology? In order for the voluntary human extinction movement to start to gain traction, one of the things that you need to be able to do is convince people that the ideas behind it, which if, if I understand the principal tenet of the voluntary human extinction movement is to allow the planet to heal from the damage that has been inflicted by human beings. Is that, is that more or less correct? That's how I started it out. Yes, that was, that was the main thing. And uh, since then, I have come to be just as concerned about the human uh, aspect of our overpopulation, and, and perhaps more so because it looks like it's, it's pretty late in the game to try to change uh, many of the things which are we have put in motion. And we don't seem to be headed in that direction at all. Insectageddon is going on full bore, and there are still, still selling bug zappers and and pesticides in the local store. And so um, now what I'm really concerned about is what's going to happen to the people who are born today. And if we can help people not procreate and sentence their loved one who doesn't exist yet into a, a, a world that uh, is quickly becoming uninhabitable, Maybe that will increase uh, people's um, concern. And, and that actually is happening. I, I don't really think that I've had much effect uh, over the 50 years I've been going on about this. But now uh, it's up to about 40% of young people are saying, nah, don't think we're going to procreate. You know, can't get a job. It doesn't look like things are going to be too good for anybody that we create. Uh, th and those are mostly Western. Young people, not not yes. that's not worldwide. Uh, the, uh, the survey was uh, predominantly in uh, what we call Western countries, uh, but uh, it, yeah, the awareness has to be there, um, and then the wherewithal has to be there. Like in in Madagascar, there are uh, over a million people uh, in famine. And still only 25% of the adults have access to contraception. So 
uh, and any talk of that is like, oh, you're blaming them for their own, you know, for for the climate crisis, which is being met. The, the famine is being blamed on the climate crisis. Uh, never mind that their population increased from five million in 1960 to 28 million wow. today, and they are they they have uh, subsistence farming. So they need to cut down the forest in order to farm. And so, you know, I don't blame the victim, but this this is fairly predictable. And now they have a drought that is going on longer than usual. Crops are failing. It's really an unfortunate situation for sure. My question about ideology is that in, in order for the voluntary yes. human extinction movement to succeed, it seems to me that one of the things that you would need to do is encourage the adoption of this belief uh, particularly in people who have not yet procreated, so so young people, and the the best opportunity to reach people before they've had a chance to participate in procreation would be during childhood. So is voluntary human extinction an ideology that we should be introducing to young people and encouraging them to adopt? Well, not in school. No. <laughs> No, no, I, I, they're not there for anybody's ideology. Huh. But uh, if they learn about, <laughs> if they learn about uh, uh, all the things that are going on, and they are, there's some real radical activists in uh, the high schools that I go to now. They're trying to stop freeway expansions and and that sort of thing, and part of the Sunrise Movement and Extinction Rebellion and. The trouble is it hasn't actually been put together yet that not procreating will give them the, the ability to continue living pretty well, well enough, and continue their activism instead of dropping out to uh, raise a, a new human. Uh, and they are uh, realizing that on their own. Uh, yeah, I, I don't think I need to. Well, I mean, I'll, I'll still have the website and tables and so on but i don't know that's it's just a lot of fun i don't i don't know i'd like to think there are some people that don't exist thanks to my work but <laughs> yeah i don't know quite a few guys have gotten vasectomies they said because of uh, what i had told them so that that's yeah, encouraging. i should say that voluntary human extinction movement was perhaps the first widely disapproved of controversial thing that I came out about in my life. And I came to various conclusions well before I met Les. I did some cartoons about overpopulation, human population. And this was back in the days of mail. There was no internet. But I believe Les saw these cartoons, as did Chris Corda of the Church of Euthanasia. And we got in touch by mm -hmm. mail. And that's how I learned there were other people out there that thought this way. But I, I put things together myself and other, you know, I, like Les, I believe you said that you, you're not really even the founder of the voluntary human extinction movement, that it was always there, but you just named it, right? That's right. I'm the finder. I found it. There it is. Yes. Let's give it a name. <laughs> uh, but there were people like us, and, and we met each other. There do seem to be quite a few more people like us now. The movement's growing all the time. <laughs> yes, that's why it's a it's movement. It's a movement. Uh, and, and I believe it has but, two chances of success. Is that correct, Les? 
That's right. Yeah, slim and none. I, and those, <laughs> I got to keep whittling those down. You know, we would have to be uh, recruiting two hundred and twenty thousand people a day just to hold steady. We're definitely not doing that. Yeah. So. Have you heard about this thing, Les, called the the transgenders? Yeah, that's where a person is born one uh, sex and they become another sex. Yes, they literally change their sex. <laughs> So along the way, it's like a, a magical rite. One of the things that they they have to do as part of the, the magic is sterilize the uh, person who's who's trying to actually achieve their goal of, of resembling the opposite sex. And that tends to have a side effect of them not producing any offspring. Well, there's a good side effect. No, no. So here's here's the thing. The thing about genderism is that my antinatalist self, who prior to this was happy about anybody not procreating, even I have been horrified by the sterilization of children because children can't consent and that's not voluntary. And the first... You know, the V in vehement is for voluntary. So you can't have voluntary human extinction if you're sterilizing children. They can't consent to it. This is a first. Right. Uh, the, uh, the presentation did not start with children here. We were just talking about people. So, yes, when you, before you're 18, you can't well, give consent. But can't we, can't we but, prepare these fertile minds to sterilize themselves as soon as they turn 18 can't can't we put it into their heads that as soon as they're old enough to consent that they ought to rush out and have their uh balls removed or have their uteruses uh excised you know you know there's there's better methods corinna you can actually do that you can actually do that without castrating or huh or spaying. Yes. Yes, you can. There's this procedure. It's called a vasectomy. That's that's for beginners. <laughs> <laughs> Beginner pros. <laughs> yeah. You don't get a tattoo for that. Well, so one positive side effect of so many young people that are wanting to alter their bodies would be that a, a side effect is that they are becoming unable to create progeny. But that's not, it doesn't work unless it's voluntary. Yeah, it does. It does work. It does work because the, the end oh. goal is not, it's not only that it's voluntary. The end goal is that there are fewer humans. It's the voluntary human extinction movement. There's other ways to get hum- fewer humans, right? Yeah, but, but there's, but there's, this no, is the voluntary. there's no value in the voluntary. There's, when, you, when you get whittled down to 10% of the population, there's not there's not the the value that it was voluntary. The value is that you get got whittled down to ten percent of the population. Now, voluntary is crucial because it's. I, is it okay if I rant about this? Because this is what always happens when I talk about voluntary it's, human existence. People yeah. drop out the voluntary. They're just like, no, no, I don't want to hear the voluntary. I don't. It's like, no, you're saying human extinction. So there's no voluntary, but voluntary, it has to be voluntary. Why? It has because otherwise you're just. There, there are so many ways to achieve human extinction that are not voluntary, and we're opposed to those. When parents can consent to these procedures for their children, that is voluntary. It's the parents creating the, the it's the parents volunteering their kids. 
This is how the Aztecs did it on the the altars and the obsidian knives. Is the the children consented constructively because the parents decided for them. That's the the ritual human sacrifice well, movement. Yeah, I'm not I'm not saying that, that that's the thing that we should be doing to to reduce the population. I just I just don't think that Les and I are into ritual human sacrifice. I think that's have a you tried it? Thing. Well, you know, when we procreate, we are sacrificing the the new person on the altar of society. So, human sacrifice does go on. It's uh, you know, especially when people are doing it because they just want to have a child and raise them, or if they think we need more for the economy and to pay for old people's pensions. That's exploitative of that new person who didn't ask to be born. So you bring him into the world. What am I here? Well, I don't know. I just really wanted a baby. And then you turned into a child. It's okay. But you know, as soon as you're not a child anymore, I'm really not interested in you at all. Yep. That's why I return uh, puppies to the pound after they've gotten big. Yes, exactly. And kittens too. Yeah. I just like the, the, the yes. fun part. Don't make me deal with the rest of it. Well, I've been, I have long wanted to understand why people want children because it's a, most humans do seem to want them. And I am very much an outsider in not having had that desire or orientation. So a lot of my, a lot of my adult life has been devoted to trying to understand this. And it does seem like for most people having children is the most meaningful thing that they do. They get so much meaning out of it and I will never know what that's like. I derive meaning from other things, but I do acknowledge that it is this profoundly meaningful thing for people that choose it. There, there are a lot of regretful uh, parents who uh, realize that, you know, if I'd known what this was going to entail, I wouldn't have done it. I think primarily it's, it's cultural conditioning. We know it's not biological because so many people are able to overcome it. Wait, what? We have the... Yeah, yeah expand uh, on that. There is... A, okay. <laughs> a lot of people say that we are uh, biologically disposed to having children because... That's what we do. And so like all species, we want to uh, procreate, but we want to have sex. We don't want to procreate, same as all the other species. They go into heat, they have sex. They have no idea that they are creating a new one. And unless we learn it, we aren't either. So it, it isn't yeah. uh, a biological urge to procreate. It's a biological urge to engage in activity, which leads to procreation. But people also, they also like cute little things that resemble babies. So they there is like a... a instinct to nurture little things yes there is uh, there does appear to be but that does not necessarily translate into creating one until you are given the uh, i guess the ideology of uh, natalism uh, and we get that all the way through school and society and everywhere unabashedly uh, promoting procreation hmm argue with this Corinna but well I I'm not I don't have the credentials to really talk about it but it it makes me sad a little bit to think about how deprived the world is going to be that I am the last of my line because I am a 
I am a genetic god. I am I'm smart, I'm beautiful, I'm funny. The world needs more people like me. And I, I think that there's something missing from it that I'm not going to be able to develop progeny. And probably everybody feels that way, even the stupid people and the ugly people. Yeah. Especially, yeah. Yeah, any any two fools can procreate, and they usually do. But, uh, but yeah, you know, it, it really would be a terrible thing for society not to have children in it. I think they're the best uh, phase of humanity. But again, it, it's exploitative to create these entities just because we like talking with them and, uh, you know, taking them to the zoo and stuff. It, uh, 60 years of their life, and it's not looking too good, will be as adults and they'll have to make their way somehow. After we've had our fun, it's, you know, return them to the pound after they aren't well, puppies Well, even anymore. with negative population growth, there would still be children. There would, yes. Well, it depends right. on, there depends would be on how negative. It could, be, it could be extremely sure. negative and there wouldn't be, but you can, you can still have plenty of negative population growth with children. It, it would be difficult to, uh, without some... Uh, universal sterilant or something that, and then it wouldn't be voluntary anymore. But oh, yes, this is a long-range goal. I know I'll never see the day there are no humans on the planet. When we get to the point, so so suppose that between the two options, slim and none. Suppose suppose you luck out and you get slim. Would you be happy if the population stabilized at around a billion human beings? I'm just picking an arbitrary number here. But if, if we if we shrunk and then hit a, a, a stable point and it was around a billion people, would you consider that your movement would have succeeded? Yeah, a lot of people are saying uh, 500 million to a billion. The, the Earth can sustain that many. But it, we're so freaking fecund, it's not going to stay there. It was only 10, uh, about 73,000 years ago, we were down to fewer than 10,000 of us. Now look. You know, we just, we just, there's something about Homo sapiens. We just breed like mm. Homo sapiens. Yep. You only need one breeding pair, then it's all over. Yeah. Well, I think so the genetics would be kind of weak, but they already are. Maybe we'll just get into the cycle then where we go from uh, 8 billion to 1 billion to 8 billion to 1 billion, and, and the earth just gets creakier and creakier until it collapses. I think that's quite likely. Uh, the collapse of civilization will be will prevent the collapse of the biosphere for a while longer as we drop down to however many survive the coming uh, weird times. Mm -hmm. uh, and then, of course, the civilization, they always come back again. Uh, if we wanted to you know, hasten that in the Western world, if we wanted to hasten the collapse of civilization in the Western world, I think all we'd need to do is take Netflix down for three days. Oh, this is voluntary. You can't be pulling that. No, 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 no. Uh, I think putting putting the Rube Goldberg machine together is is not oh. has has nothing to do with the uh, voluntary or involuntary actions. It's just putting the machine together. Oh, okay. But if you <laughs> if you got rid of Netflix, people would probably have more sex with each other for entertainment oh, no. and a lot of them because yeah. they're not used to having sex a lot of them would probably forget about contraception altogether yeah and they might forget what a man and a woman is too at the rate we're going <laughs>
Don't they have that on Netflix? Well, see, we're back to the donut. Yeah. Oh, so yes. I, okay. I do notice that most people do not acknowledge the state of the environment or human impact thereon. Even I, like I thought about this a lot when I was in my 20s and I was extremely depressed in my 20s and intentionally cultivated denial of what's going on so that I could stay alive because it was so distressing to me to be conscious of (laughs) environmental destruction. Uh, My denial is not so great that I, I mean, it's, it's all true. Like intellectually I can cope with it, but I, I put a block in myself uh, emotionally because it was so horrible to acknowledge, but all this stuff is still going on. And I'm amazed that people don't know about it or think about it so little. Like you less mentioned in insectageddon. Is that what you called it? Can you talk about insectageddon yeah, right. a little bit? I don't think most people know what's happening to insects. Yeah. Insect populations are plummeting and, uh, you know, if they look around, they don't even have to do a study. You know, the windshields used to be covered with bug splatter. I don't know if that had something to do with it. Maybe that's part of the reason. You know, I worked, I pumped gas, and everybody had to have their uh, windshields cleaned. Doesn't happen anymore. That alone should be a wake up. Okay, we don't have bugs on the windshield. There aren't any bugs. What? what now, we can do without bugs. They were kind of bugging me anyway. But obviously, we can't. And the little things are what really keep the biosphere together. And so, you know, we lose some phytoplankton, little things like that. And pretty soon the whole uh, biosphere collapses. We're pulling strands from the web of life. Well, hopefully that will all collapse after the three of us are dead. (laughs) Yeah, it won't happen in the next few minutes. I've been impressed by how slowly the apocalypse is happening. I was really anxious when I was younger, but it's taking a while. And now at the same time though, uh, you only need a catastrophe once, right? Like it's, it's like, you know, fall off a cliff at at any moment, but um, I'm amazed things have felt a lot more stable than I expected. Of course, I'm in a very comfortable, safe position here in the middle of the United States in my middle class for now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We just had uh, record heat and lost a few hundred people because of it uh, here in the Pacific Northwest. And uh, so people are going, well, you know, we'll get through this. <laughs> but people who didn't have air conditioning and it was, it was tough. Well, the people who died certainly didn't get through it, but yeah, um, they were just, they were old and yeah. weak anyway. It's true. They they needed weeding out and they probably weren't going to procreate. So no great loss. I I will say that human beings have always felt, not human beings, civilized human beings, humans in civilization have always felt on the precipice of the end. Hence the popularity of the apocalypse and apocalyptic myths, because it's, it just seems like it's always felt like that to people. Oh, we didn't talk about the demographic transition theory. When Corinna and I were having this oh, yeah. argument, uh, you brought up 
the demographic transition theory for some, I wish we could get back into this argument. It was a great argument. Can, can we Nina. recreate it? <laughs> yeah. Well, I can, I can phrase it at least. Uh, so less, one of the things that I've learned about in, in demographics is that as populations achieve a certain amount of industrialization and that there's a certain amount of education and participation in the workforce, that populations naturally achieve a close to a replacement rate for their population growth, which is zero population growth. And there's this concept that once the planet hits around nine or 10 billion people on it, that the level of productivity will be so globalized that most places on earth will have a, a zero or negative population growth and stabilizing around 10 billion people. So that, that's something that demographers assert is is a likely outcome. Do you think that that has any potential or what, what do you think of that theory? No, it has zero potential. Uh, the demographic transition theory really makes very little sense, but there are elements of it that are very helpful to uh, neocolonialism. And part of it is we need to develop. In fact, right now the UN has the sustainable development goals. We want them to develop. And that usually means exploitation of the resources, uh, shifting to a, a banking system that can be uh, exploited. Uh, and the people, people have a high death rate and high birth rate before the demographic transition starts. Yeah, this is the theory. And then after it starts, they have a low death rate, but a high birth rate. That's just the way it is. But it doesn't have to be that way. If instead of concentrating on development, what they call industrialization and so on, they also uh, concentrated on uh, providing people's needs, healthcare especially, then the birth rate would drop with the death rate and they, they wouldn't have to have that portion of the demographic transition theory. So there's really no need for that. The, then the last stage where people are naturally just through some magical um, event, uh, everything is uh, okay now, so we will have fewer offspring. But it has never been shown that increasing uh, income, standard of living, produces uh, fewer offspring. They're using two different areas of the country. They say, oh, in rich countries, they only have this many. In poor countries, they have this. Let's make them rich and they'll have this. You know, it, it's the, they've got the uh, cause and effect yeah. reversed. Um, quite a few, um, well, there's a, a prominent uh, politician from India who recently said, uh, my statement that development is the best contraceptive became widely known and off-quoted. 20 years later, I'm inclined to reverse this, and my position now is that contraception is the best development. So people are getting it correct. Uh, <clears throat> Gloria Steinem said that the, uh, the existence of the, of the birth control pill greatly enhanced uh, women's liberation in the 60s and 70s. And so it's... Uh, that's why I am saying we need universal uh, reproductive freedom and the wherewithal to uh, engage in it. And from that, many, many wonderful things will happen. Uh, I want to talk. 
Melinda oh, I just Gates. want to talk Go about uh, Virginia Abernethy for a moment. So she oh, yeah. analyzed mm-hmm. the demographic transition theory, and I believe mm-hmm. she concluded that people have more children when they believe there are more economic opportunities. So when they when they believe that yes. their children are going to do better economically than them, they will have more children. Mm-hmm. And when they believe that their children are going to do economically worse than them, they will have fewer children. And with, with demographic transitions, there is this slope, this upward slope, where for a while it's like, oh, you know, we're growing, right? My kid's going to be able to make more money than me. I'm going to have more kids. And then it stops <laughs> and, and it peaks. And at that point, mm-hmm. people have fewer kids. But uh, you don't need that upward slope to, to have that stop. You could, you could stop at any point. You, right. don't, you don't need to expand first. Yes. Uh, uh, Virginia Abernathy's point was that it's not necessarily the economic conditions of the day. It's the perception of the economics of the future. It's why so many uh, recent uh, immigrants to the United States have more offspring. It's like, finally, we can afford to have all of them that we wanted. Then the next generation's going, well, yeah, I don't think I'm going to do that, <laughs> you know, because they're, they're used to that lifestyle. So it's a, uh, uh, yeah, when, when uh, a couple gets a raise, they're more likely to procreate. It, it has been studied. And yet still, just last week, I heard... Uh, somebody from India who was uh, expounding on uh, the Quran um, the saying it's okay to use contraception. It was really a, a great uh, podcast on uh, population balance. But they said, and th- this is just straight out of, uh, well, it's the current uh, mindset. We have seen the literacy rate improves, especially of girls, the number of children goes down. Income goes up, number of children goes down. Services improve, number of children goes down. But he didn't say what kind of services, I mean, sewer and water. But uh, anyway, the statement that income goes up, number of children goes down has been disproved so many times. It's just obvious it's not true. But people still repeat it because they really want it to be true. All we have to do is make people rich. We don't have to worry about contraception and all that other stuff. And the way you make people rich is through growth. Through growth and neocolonial, I mean, um, through enhancing their economy by uh, partnering with the World Bank and the IMF. But you're saying uh, we can improve our per capita wealth by just having fewer people. That's true. And it's even on a family level, it's quite obvious that if you only have one, your family is going to be per capita much better off than if you have three, unless you put them to work. Yeah. I guess that works Which, sometimes. you know, too. historically people did. Yes, they did. And they still do in a lot of countries. It's true. Well, nothing makes me feel happier than to see a lot of children working, prefer- preferably in a factory or in a mine. But we need good conditions for them, though. You know, masks when they're dealing with dust yes, flashlights. and that sort of thing. Those, those yeah. little flashlights that have the <laughs> yellow light with the spot in the middle. <laughs> We've come a long way. Yeah, and now, flashlight technology? Yeah. Now we just yeah. put them into little uh, indoctrination centers where they develop, you know, mental illnesses and get diagnosed with 
hyperactivity and put on drugs and they don't actually produce anything, but they're nonetheless kept in prison-like conditions under surveillance constantly. That's much better. That's much more humane. Well, one or two generations from now, Nina, what I think will happen is that we'll be telling stories about how we forced these young people to become social media influencers in their teens and that the social capital and the system of social capitalism is what caused the exploitation of young people. Well, it is exploitation of, of young people. It doesn't have to cause it. It's direct. It's, uh, there's quite a bit of awareness of, about that in some of the schools I go to. The, the students put posters up, you know, you, you are being sold uh, to the uh, social media, you know. Um, so there, there is some awareness. I don't know about universal. I, I'm only in one city, uh, but quite a few different schools. But there is so much anxiety about the future that people are trying to, some people are trying to cheer them up and say, it's okay, it's going to be all right. We just need to make some changes and everybody will drive an electric car instead of a gas car and then we'll be okay. Right. And recycle, recycle. Yeah. Be sure to do that. Separate your, your aluminum and your plastic. That's right. Yeah. Yeah, And put the plastic in the garbage. No, no. You put the plastic in the recycling and then the recycling people put it in the garbage. Check the number and uh, it's a moral hygiene to do that. Yes. And scream yes. at your neighbor if they're not doing that. Yes. Isolate them. Uh, Les, I'm wondering if somebody wants to know more about the voluntary human extinction movement or anything of your work, where would they go to find out about it? They would go to our handy dandy website, V-H-E-M-T, vehement, because that's what we are, .org. Or just search voluntary human extinction. I don't think there are very many websites dedicated to that yet. Is there a, a good starting spot for somebody who wants to know more? Well, that would be the, definitely would be the starting point. And uh, if they want to share, uh, there is a whole page on outreach on how to help other people come to the awareness that uh, we should stop procreating and go extinct. May we live long right. and die out. I'm doing my part. Yay. Thank you so much for talking with us, Les. Oh, it's been my pleasure. Thank you. Thank you so much. Bye, Turfs and Trannies. Bye. Hey, everybody. Thank you for listening to Heterodorks. You can support our podcast by visiting anchor.fm slash heterodorks or by directly supporting Nina Paley on Patreon at patreon.com slash Nina Paley.